to express yourself where teens talk and the world listens presented by star style productions as an international outreach program of be the star you are charity you'll rock to an hour of adolescent fusion with your teen hosts and on-air reporters meet and chat with cool celebrities exhilarating experts and tenacious teens with subjects regarding anything and everything that you want to know it's time to kick off the fun with our star teens welcome to express yourself Today, we are going to start off with a phenomenal quote from Nelson Mandela. Do not judge me by my success. Judge me by how many times I fell down and got back up again. Hello and ex- welcome to Express Yourself. We are a program by, for, and with creative young people. A platform to give teens a voice right here on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. From Cynthia Bryan, producer of Express Yourself and Star Style Productions, we bring this program to the airwaves as an outreach service of the Be the Star You Are charity, a top nonprofit, honored by GuideStar and great nonprofits. I'm Siri Parnindra, and before we get into today's show that is about strength and resilience, be sure to check out our website at btsya.org. As part of our disaster relief outreach program, Be the Star You Are has collaborated with the Authors Guild to showcase the new books launched by many authors from around the country in a variety of genres. Make sure you're tuned in to Star Style, Be the Star You Are on Wednesdays at 4 p.m. Pacific Time for Wednesdays with Writers and Express Yourself, airing on Sundays at 3 p.m. for Super Smart Sundays, both broadcasting right here on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Today, we have a great hour planned for you. In segment two, our guest is an exceptional author and psychologist, Sarah Carlson. We will be wrapping up our show with a few tips about yoga and meditation. But right now, I will be sharing a few personal experiences that have helped me develop resilience and strength. So let's get started. During 10th grade, I was marred by a tragic event. Although I had flown to India to see my beloved grandpa, He passed away in the hospital due to a sudden lung attack before I was able to say goodbye. And it had been five years since I last saw him. And his long suffering and subsequent passing of my grandpa resulted in an emotional toll on me. And my grief was so profound that I feared feared that I would never recover. As I missed three weeks of school, it was very hard for me to catch up while being mentally shattered. And it resulted in the lowest grade that I've ever received before in any one of my classes. At that time, there happened to be a teacher's strike, and my teachers could not allocate the time to schedule makeup exams. Especially since I was a sophomore at that time, I was concerned about college admissions and how college admission officers will perceive my grade. Although that was the lowest point of my life, I bounced back with resilience and inner strength. I knew that giving up after facing an unprecedented adversity would be very detrimental to my well-being. So I continued to put in all my efforts and progress my grades. Fast forward two years, my dream college became a reality when I opened my UC Berkeley acceptance letter. I know that there were so many factors that played into this, including the blessings of my grandparents who were watching me from above as well as the strength and resilience that I showcased during the adversity that I faced. We can also see this in my business venture, where I encountered unavoidable twists and turns. I did not let those experiences drift me away from my goals, and I took each opportunity as a learning curve that empowered me to grow as a person and to be able to adapt to any life situation that you know brings upon a hardship. So... On that note, I feel a way to develop strength is through the love and the support we receive from our loved ones. And this expression of love will help us overcome the problems that life hands over to us. I feel love gives us the courage to confront the challenges we face each day. And this created a roadmap and foundation for my company that is all about the expression of love. My company, Draw My Love, 
allows people to customize physical short-form books for their loved ones during occasions such as Valentine's Day, anniversaries, etc. And driven by one heartfelt belief, I feel this will help empower others' expressions of love and strengthen their relationships with our loved ones. All in all, I believe that loving oneself and sharing your love with others helps us build up inner strength that cannot be disturbed by any external circumstances. Well, that's it for my segment. Thank you so much for tuning in. As a reminder, the newest establishment in the series Be the Star You Are, Millennials to Boomers, celebrating gifts of positive voices in a changing digital world is available on starstylestore.net. If you're looking for a new book to read, consider picking up a copy. I'm Siri Panindra. And remember, your purchase benefits the Be The Star You Are 501c3 charity and this Express Yourself program as a donation. You can check out youtube.com slash be the star you are for our very fun and informative Be The Star You Are videos on living, laughing, and learning. You can visit us also at btsya.org and check out past editions of our show at expressyourselfteenradio.com. Keep on listening to our conversation about strength and resilience on Express Yourself. After the break. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take voice. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. Are you a teen interested in becoming a radio personality? The Positive Message Outreach Program of Be The Star You Are Charity trains dedicated young people to be reporters and hosts on Express Yourself Teen Radio. Visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com for information. That's ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Don't forget to tune in to Express Yourself Tuesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Kids, where teens talk and the world listens. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You're listening to Express Yourself on the Voice America Kids channel, where teens talk and the world listens. Express Yourself is produced by Star Style Productions, LLC, as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. For more information about our show, visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Now, back to our star teens. Thanks for staying with us here at Express Yourself on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We are here today with Sarah Carlson, the author of many contemporary young adult books that delve into complex real-world problems. She's a professional school psychologist supporting the success of children with behavioral and mental health needs. She also helps promote resilience in children who have been exposed to trauma and adverse childhood experiences. Her works include All the Walls of Belfast and Everything's Not Fine. Hi, Sarah. Welcome onto the show. Hi, thanks for having me. All right. So without giving too much away, um, Everything's Not Fine is about a 17-year-old Rose who uses painting as an escape from her mom's heroin addiction, and that is until her mom is hospitalized due to overdose. In the aftermath, Rose no longer has the strength to pick up a paintbrush, but she discovers the power of admitting everything is not fine. So, Sarah, what inspired you to write Everything's Not Fine, and was it based on a real-life experience? So it was not based on my personal experience, um, but I drew inspiration from my professional experience as a school psychologist um, at that time working with kids who were in middle school. Now, I obviously, I didn't take any stories from kids that I worked with, um, but I did work with kids whose parents um, were struggling with substance abuse issues. And, and so I kind of drew from that as I was trying to write Everything's Not Fine. Uh, I also kind of wanted to draw from how I operate as a school psychologist and some of the things that, you know, when I'm working with teens and, and working with children, things that, that I 
do to try to help them to, to find their own, find their own resilience. So it was, I was inspired to write it just by, um, kind of some of the experiences that I'd had supporting teens whose parents were struggling with, um, substance abuse issues. So that was a big, a big part of the inspiration. Um, and also I happened to be living in Singapore at the time when I, when I started writing, everything's not fine. And I was feeling a little bit homesick. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I actually said it in my hometown of Sparta, Wisconsin, um, just because in part I was just feeling homesick for Wisconsin. So that was another kind of piece of it. Um, at least the setting anyways. And also, um, Growing up, I didn't read a lot of books that were written and set in Wisconsin, and so I wanted to explore kind of my home state a little bit as well. Oh, that's so meaningful. I love how you drew inspiration from experiences that the children you have worked with have experienced, as well as the experience that you have experienced. <laughs> um, <laughs> so tell us a bit about Singapore before we move forward and compare the experience to Wisconsin. Yeah, so I um, was living there because my husband, his job took him over there. And so while I was there for about a year and a half, I was not working as a school psychologist. It was just too difficult to kind of figure out how to find that role over there. So I was actually kind of just working as like a tutor with another expat family. And I had a lot of time on my hands to kind of delve deeper into my writing. I've, I've been writing since I was like in fourth grade, um, you know, all the way through middle school, I was writing, I guess what you'd call now, um, fan fiction, Stephen King fan fiction, um, <laughs> and things like that. So I had always loved writing, but, um, when we moved to Singapore for that period of time, it gave me, a, a some ability to really explore my writing and develop my writing a little bit more because I just had more time. Um, and I, I loved living in Singapore. It was an amazing experience. Um, and it also made me appreciate, I, I feel like when I, before I went to Singapore, I'd traveled a fair bit before then. Um, but I'd never really realized like that I had a culture, you know, because when you live in America and you grow up in America, like that's just, you don't, really have as much exposure to other cultures. And so like, I hadn't sat back and thought, well, what is my culture? Um, but when I was living in Singapore, it, it gave me a chance to kind of recognize just little things. Like, for example, like in Wisconsin, uh, when you like pass a person, you smile at them, mm -hmm. even if you don't know them. And like, when I was living in Singapore, nobody did that. And at first I was kind of like, wow, everybody's really rude here. But then I realized, no, that's not what's going on at all. That's just like, that is a Midwestern thing. That's our cultural practice. And that's not a cultural practice, you know, that is, you know, something that happens in a lot of the rest of the world. And so anyways, I think living in Singapore, you know, gave me an, an amazing experience, but it also helped me become more introspective around like what my culture is and um, left me wanting to explore it a little bit more. So, yeah. Yeah, I also experienced the culture difference because I lived in London during my childhood and oh, then okay. we moved to the United States. So definitely it's pretty different. <laughs> right. So, yeah, so I totally get you um, when you're talking about Singapore versus Wisconsin. Right. right. Um, so what is the meaning behind the title, Everything's Not Fine? Um, so the meaning behind the title, this, and this also might be a, a Midwestern cultural thing, I'm not sure, but like people will always say like, as a greeting, like, hey, how's it going? Or, hey, how are you doing? And when people ask that, like, they're not asking because they actually want to know how you are. They're not asking because they're hoping that you'll say like, oh, yeah, I had a really crappy day today. And, you know, my teacher was a jerk and my parents or what. Like, it's just like another way of saying hello. And um, how often we kind of go through our days, you know, when someone says, oh, hey, hey, how's it going? Oh, fine. Oh, good. But we don't really stop to say like, actually, no, you know, I'm not fine. <laughs> <laughs> I have, I'm doing terrible today. Um, and it is kind of at least where I'm from, like, it's a cultural thing. Like you don't, you actually don't tell people that because people don't expect that because that's just another way to say hi. Um, but really, and especially for the main character, Rose, who spends, has spent so much of the past two years of her life trying to hide from everybody, um, the, her mother's addiction, um, and just pretend like everything's okay. And her family works so hard to, ignore the elephant in the room, which is like a, a metaphor, um, for, um, 
when you ignore something that like is literally filling the room, it's staring you in the face, but you pretend like it's not there because it's, it's so hard to deal with. And, and that's kind of how Rose survived kind of leading up to, and then after her mother's overdose, um, was just by pretending everything's not fine and just telling everybody everything's fine. Um, but then what she discovers as the book goes on is that there's a lot of power in trusting others to help you carry your emotional burdens, even if there's nothing they can do about it, just letting it out of yourself by talking, by art, um, is a very powerful mechanism to help you on your process to healing and, and kind of discovering your own resilience. So the title is really about the power of, you know, saying, actually, no, everything isn't fine. There's all like, this is what's really happening in my life and the power of just um, trusting others and being honest. Yeah. I see it, you know, in society because when people say, how are you doing? Our first answer is we're doing good even yeah. if that's not the truth. So I see right. it like every day. Um, mm-hmm. So how do you see Rose's understanding of her mom's addiction evolve as she goes on throughout the book? So I think that um, in one of the early chapters, when Rose goes back to school, um, her psychology teacher tells a joke. Um, and the joke is basically like a psychologist is walking down the street and finds a person like, bleeding on the on the ground because they were just mugged um and the psychologist says wow that mugger really needs help um and so when rose hears that joke she's like well you know screw you like you're gonna help the mugger what about this person um that's like laying on the floor bleeding um and what that joke really is meant to kind of, as Rose grows in her understanding, what she realizes like is, you know, initially she hates her mom and she hates the choices that her mom made. She blames her mom for everything and she can't even like fathom seeing her mother again. Um, but then as she kind of grows in her understanding and has a chance to explore her feelings with her friends and, um, as the plot progresses, what she kind of realizes is that, you know, her mother didn't wake up one day and say, oh, yeah, I just, you know, I think that a great life path would be become a heroin addict. Like nobody wakes up one day and says, yeah, that's what I want to do with my life. You know, there's a lot of complicated things that lead into that and and, and kind of create that. Um, and then, you know, as the ro- as the book progresses, Rose comes to this understanding that she can love her mother she can love the addict and hate the addiction at the same time and have kind of both of those things inside of herself um and so that's kind of the big way that her kind of understanding progresses and that she can be she can be angry at at the choices that her mother has made but she can also offer forgiveness and and kind of have hope you know in the end that eventually her mom might be able to overcome the addiction but that no matter what happens with her mom's addiction it's not about rose it's not rose's fault if her mother relapses that's not because of anything rose did the addiction is not rose's fault um and that that in and of in and of itself is a very powerful thing that she can't control what her mom does all she can do is focus on what she can control in her life um and so that's kind of as the book progresses how her understanding changes and grows. That's very important. Um, I actually took AP psychology, um, I believe two years ago. Yes, two years ago. And I learned that a lot of our childhood impacts our future. Mm -hmm. Yes. So um, my question is, you know, everything's not fine is about family and everyone in Rez's family responds differently. So can you talk about Aunt Colleen and how her response was different from Grammy's response? Sure. So just for context for your listeners. Um, so Rose has this aunt that at the beginning of the book, she puts on this pedestal. She's this uh, girl who like, like left high school that like, well, the day she graduated just disappeared into the night. And then she became this Broadway star and now is like gallivanting around the world, posting all of her beautiful pictures on Instagram about her like quest to discover love and meaning in life. Um, and at the beginning of the book, Rose aspires to be her. She wants to escape from small town life. She wants to escape from the, like the, the elephant in the room in her family and just, be free and just, you know, just live in a world of her art. Um, and then, <clears throat> sorry, excuse me. 
Um, what happens is Rose be kind of becomes a little bit more curious about her aunt kind of coinciding with, um, what's going on with her mom. And she ends up reaching out to her aunt. Um, and, and what happened, what you kind of see is that her, her aunt is just so kind of consumed with the guilt of abandoning her younger sister to, as you had kind of alluded to, you know, connecting to your AP psychology experience. Um, the two of them had gone through some trauma in their childhood mm-hmm. and the aunt basically fled that trauma and left the sister, left mom behind. And so the aunt harbors a lot of guilt around that, that she just buries deep and hides and just pretends like her family's not there anymore and just kind of goes on with her life um, because the, the guilt of it all is just too much for her to bear because she on some level takes responsibility or blames herself because of the choices that mom ended up making. Uh, whereas the Grammy, the grandmother Grammy, who is um, actually the dad's mom, she kind of tried to, you know, do like a quote unquote intervention and um, kind of force, try to force dad into forcing mom to get clean like several years before. And then um, because she was pushing to try to help and make things better, um, the family kind of just cut her out until the overdose, in which case she came back in and and helped pick up the pieces again for the whole family. Um, and so whereas Grammy kind of like she stood there with them and, and kind of tried to fight it with them um, with the aunt, it was just the guilt of it all was so much kind of, again, tied to those earlier life experiences that she it was she just wasn't in a place where she could even hear about it. Oh, wow. Very interesting. I guess everyone responds differently to, in mm-hmm. fact, every situation. So since our show is about resilience today, what is resilience and in what ways does Rose discover her resilience in the book? So the way that I think about resilience kind of in my professional capacity is is kind of like the ability to, um, when kind of confronted with something that's difficult, to pick yourself back up and kind of keep pushing forward. Um, you know, so it's really about kind of the ability to, to respond and adjust difficult situations and and kind of move on or to become stronger, um, so that you can, you know, grow, continue to kind of grow and thrive. Um, and so one of the things that, that I do with, with some of the students that I work with is help teach them, um, strategies around kind of, you know, relaxation and calming strategies to help them to kind of deal with really overpowering feelings, but then also really working on kind of helping to build like a resilience mindset. Um, and in fact, one of the things that I tried to kind of get, get at with Rose a little bit, um, is just this idea that your first thought doesn't have to be your last thought. Um, and that you, and it, cause it's often, you know, cause it is those first thoughts are kind of created or they come from our, our previous life experiences, the experiences that we've had in life, our worldview that has been shaped by everything that's happened before us, which is why, you know, especially in very emotionally um, trying times, you know, that first thought might not be the most helpful one. And so just this idea of kind of challenging those thoughts to make sure that your thoughts are helpful, that they're accurate, that they're realistic. Um, while also, you know, being able to identify things like who is your support system? Who can you go to when you are going through these really difficult times and the emotional burden is too much for you to carry? What are some other things that you can do? What are outlets that you have so that you can let those emotions out so that you can cope with stress in a healthy way rather than letting that stress crush you? And I think that's a a big piece of resilience too, is kind of Name, naming what's going on, but then also having healthy strategies, healthy outlets to cope with that so that it doesn't, the burden of it doesn't crush you so that you can kind of keep moving forward, um, you know, trusting that things are going to get better, that you can think positive, that, you know, you might not feel things might not look positive now, um, but just trusting that things can and will get better and that you as a person have the ability to make some choices that will help you to get into a, into a better situation. And so another thing with, um, 
rows that I talk about, and this is, you know, might kind of tie into a, a later question as well, is just this idea of like when you're facing something that you can't control, um, but it's wrecking your life, what, what do you do with that? And I think that was a big kind of fundamental question in the book because Rose has no control over what happens with mom and she has no control with a lot of the other stuff that happens in the book. And, you know, she can let that crush her or she can try to think about it a different way, try to try to focus on the things that she can control so that she can kind of keep her life moving forward and her family's life moving forward. And so that's kind of a big, you know, learning point in the book as well is, is this idea of focusing on what you can control. And, you know, there's times where, you know, you, you can't let those, those crushing feelings and those, those, those thoughts you know, that, that might be ruminating on your trauma or the things that you're going through. You can't let them consume you. Sometimes you just have to kind of put those thoughts in a, like a metaphorical box and put them on the shelf and just try to leave them there so that you can kind of move on with your life and focus on what you can control. Um, so that's kind of another piece of, of resilience as I see it too, um, for teens. Exactly. So I hope I answered your question. Yes. Yes. Great. In fact, I can relate. I have many outlets as well. Um, I look forward to dancing when I'm stressed or playing the guitar. And sometimes I do meditation every day. So definitely, you know, reach out to people as well, like family Mm -hmm. and friends. They're always there for you. Mm -hmm. Um, So right now we have no control over what's happening with the pandemic. And, you know, many high schoolers around the country (sighs) and the world, um, didn't have their graduation and I'm a senior or I was a senior. So we had a virtual graduation and (sighs) I feel like the entire year just slipped away. Like I Mm -hmm. had no control, no senior ball, no nothing. So what advice do you have for young people or really anyone in particular? (sighs) Yeah. You know, that's, that's a hard, that's a very hard question. I'm not going to lie. You know, I think that the, the thing that, I mean, obviously, I think you need to give yourself space and time to grieve for the things that that you've lost and the things that you've looked forward to and kind of been promised your whole life and seen in books and seen in movies and seen on TV shows. Like, you know, it's present like that is kind of like the epitome of of the high school experience is, is walking across the stage, getting your diploma to the music and all that. And I think that it, you need to give yourself space to grieve and, and to mourn for that. And that, that that's okay. Um, you know, and history is going to look back on this time, uh, you know, and your your children and your grandchildren will probably, you know, want to know about about kind of what it was like. And and, you know, in some ways, you're, you're the seniors, you're kind of like at this really strange position of a, you don't have graduation and then B, what does college look like or what does Mm -hmm. the workforce look like? And so it's like, there's all this uncertainty. And like you said, all this stuff that, that you have no control over. And I think just naming it, you know, that I, that I don't have any control over COVID. I have no control over what, you know, I, what my school decides to do with graduation. I have no control over whether or not I can, you know, see my friends in person. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that that's where kind of, again, giving yourself that space to, to breathe, to grieve. Um, but then also, you know, thinking about, well, what are some things that I can control? What are some things that I can do a, to kind of make myself feel better? Like, like you had shared the example of dancing or music or things like that. Like Rose, she relies heavily on art. Um, you know, what are some ways that you can kind of there, we'll call it therapeutically distract yourself, mm-hmm. um, you know, so that you're not just kind of living in those feelings all the time. Um, and then, you know, who are the people that you can go to when, you know, like the distractions not working, you just need someone to vent with and to complain about, um, you know, who are your, who's your support system that you can go to? Um, you know, and another thing that I, you know, as I was kind of thinking through this for some of the students that I work with and parents that I, I work with too, you know, there's also this question around like, how can you make meaning for yourself around COVID? Like, what can you do, like, to positively, you know, impact change? Like, for example, I'd seen something about 
Now, this was before, you know, everything happened with George Floyd, but like people talking about, well, can I write letters to, you know, people who are living in a, in a retirement home and they can't see their family? Maybe they don't have family. Can I, you know, be finding ways to donate, you know, food or money to food pantries because so many more people need to access that now than they used to? Or can I be writing my, uh, my politicians about, you know, getting more relief, you know, for local businesses. Like what are some actions that I can be taking as a person to make meaning in this? And, you know, another thing that I also thought was very interesting was this idea of like, well, maybe keeping a journal of what this experience was like, because I had kind of said, as I said before, generations to come are going to be curious about this and they're going to want to know. And, you know, you putting down on paper or virtually like what this was like for you, it's going to, it's a snapshot of a very significant historical thing that we're going through that, you know, hasn't been gone through in over a hundred years. And you, you, you factor in some of the other um, social things that have been going on as well. We're living in, in, in pivotal times. And I think having that like recorded memory of that is something that your, your children and your grandchildren will find fascinating. And so I think that's another opportunity too, to kind of help you process it, but then also to create something that's meaningful for, for future generations. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, it does. In fact, I started writing on my journal, um, just a couple of weeks ago and, um, it has helped me process the thoughts and kind of express myself um, and release all of my, you know, sadness into Mm -hmm. one place. And, Mm -hmm. you know, when I turn back the pages of my journal, it's like, wow, I've overcome that. And Mm -hmm. that's changed me as a person. So Mm -hmm. yeah, it's definitely something I recommend um, for anyone going through any hard time or any good time as well. It's always, Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 And And I think another thing too, that this is what I'm telling myself is that this isn't like this too shall pass. Mm -hmm. Eventually we will get through this and, you know, we're not going to have to live in like fear of going outside to the degree that we're doing now. We're not going to, you know, have to be distanced from every, you know, as, as much as now. So I just keep reminding myself that this is going to pass Mm -hmm. and I try to find something positive or something that brings me joy every single day. um, So that, and I'm, I'm actively trying to do that so that it helps me to kind of shift where my attention is. Because if I just sit and think about, wow, this is day 632 of you know, <laughs> being trapped in my house. And that's kind of where my thoughts live. That first thought that I'd referred to earlier, um, I'm, th- I'm going to feel pretty crappy every day if that's what <laughs> I'm going to do. But if instead I shift my mindset to be like, yeah, this is crappy. I acknowledge that but I'm actively trying to find little joyful things throughout the day, whether it's like the sunrise or some flower growing in my garden or something silly. My daughter says like finding little tiny pieces of joy every day and choosing to focus your attention on that rather than kind of letting yourself get sucked into how much this is terrible um, can kind of help to bolster that, that kind of resilience mindset as well. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I frequently tell myself every day that the pandemic is good for us and it's changing humanity mm-hmm. in a way. And it's teaching us to express our gratitude to our loved ones and not to take yes. a single day for granted. Yeah. So I guess there, you know, there are some downsides to the pandemic, but you know, there, there are some things that we're learning as, yes. you know, as humans. Beautifully and expressed. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So I, first of all, I love how you said that this is a time to promote change. And that's exactly what Be The Star You Are is doing. And we are having, um, we are inviting authors and artists, musicians onto our show because their events and promotions were canceled. So, I mean, you can do change in any way. You can obviously donate for different organizations, but it gives a meaning and purpose to your life and it makes you Mm -hmm. feel better and more happier. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, what role does social media play in your book? Obviously, in today's day, it has completely changed because social media is the only way I'm connected with my friends. <laughs> right. In your book, how does it, you know, play? Um, yeah, and so for uh, for for my book, um, 
that is the way that like, so first off you have aunt Colleen who presents like all the perfect things of her life and presents like the pieces that she wants everyone to see, but then hides kind of the, the truth of her feelings, um, of, of what's really going on inside. And, and, you know, Rose at first kind of just sees that facade, but then as she kind of digs a little bit deeper and actually does get to know Aunt Colleen and the backstory, um, discovers that, you know, the the face that people put on social media isn't always, or maybe often isn't kind of the reality of, of who we are inside because social media gives us the opportunity to try to paint any picture that we want. Um, but then, you know, that leaves the people who are seeing it not getting the whole picture and then, you know, kind of leaving them in a position where they're like, oh, well, my life's really crappy because I'm not going to Bali and, you know, Australia and all that. You know what I mean? And so mm -hmm. it, it kind of captures that kind of the facade that we put out versus the reality. Um, but it also can be a powerful means of connection, too, as you highlighted in the times of COVID. Maybe it's the only <laughs> kind of yeah. connection that you have. Um, yeah. So that's that's kind of the the pieces that I see there. But yeah, social media is taking on a whole different significance now. <laughs> yeah, you can also see the same trend in movies um, because a few of them, they don't portray the whole picture. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, you know, I feel during this quarantine, I'm just watching movies that have a lot of hardships so mm -hmm. that it makes me appreciate my my place today. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the, there's a big addiction problem in the U.S. Um, so how does your book explore the opioid crisis? So I decided to explore it from the, the realm of the, the children who are, are the victims of it. And, and, you know, as I was doing research for the book, I was, I was reading some experiences of, of kids who were placed in foster care, you know, because of their parents' addiction. Again, not because their parents didn't love them, but because that addiction was, was so consuming, um, that even though the parents, you know, didn't want to lose their kids, that that's kind of how it ended up happening because the addiction kind of took over. And so I wanted to explore it from the realm of like, well, what is it like if you're, this is your parent and how do you make sense of that? And, and how do you, have a relationship with them? Should you have a relationship with them? And so I wanted to explore that aspect of it rather than, you know, focusing on, you know, well, what's it like to be an addict? I wanted to kind of explore mm. some of like the, the ways that it, it spreads out and it impacts people way beyond just the addict. Mm. That's, that's a really meaningful way of putting it. Um, I'm sure that many kids and teens are going through you know, their parents having addictions and they can mm -hmm. kind of relate to your book and experience mm -hmm. the same emotions as Rose did. So it's definitely a good read for people who can relate as well as not relate so that they're informed and yeah. know about it. So if you had the opportunity to interview your teen readers, what would you want to ask? Well, you know, you did kind of touch on a little bit when you were talking about COVID and kind of what that experience has been like and how it's felt. So I think in these times, that's something that, you know, I would like to explore more. I've got to be honest, the thing that I, I've been wondering about most recently is like, what do teenagers say instead of the word cool? And it might sound funny. Like, it, I don't, because I like, I, I'm working on another manuscript right now, another story. And I'm like, I'm saying cool in here, but I'm pretty sure that's not what teenagers say. And I'm not sure exactly how I could, I could just Google it, but I don't know. <laughs> I suppose there's probably <laughs> some variation based on, you know, where they live and, and you know, who, who their kind of the groups are. <laughs> but that, that's one of them is, is what, what do kids say, not kids, what do teens say instead of cool? All right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Not to put you on the spot. You don't have to answer. It can just be like a rhetorical question. But that yes. is... <laughs> Let's use it as a rhetorical question. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, also just like, you know, what are, what are like, what are some of the different kinds of music that kids look, you know, listen to? And, you know, what do, what do teenagers do for fun besides social media for, I don't know if teenagers, I know kids in elementary school play Fortnite. I don't know if teenagers play Fortnite, if it spans up, like what else, do, what else are kids doing these days for fun? So TikTok, I know TikTok is pretty big. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. TikTok. Yeah. I, I, we have that in elementary too. So I, I've, I've experienced TikTok. <laughs> uh, yeah. My sister the other day was talking about it and she's only in fifth grade. Yeah. <laughs> 
Oh yeah, we wow. had some. Okay. Yeah, we had some stuff happen on TikTok at my school. So yes, I've had fun with TikTok this year. So yeah, All yeah. Right. I guess just in general, more stuff about what it's like to be a teen nowadays. Right. So Sarah, um, can you just tell us a little bit about your other book, All the Walls of Belfast? Sure. So my other book is actually set in Belfast, Northern Ireland, um, and it's about two. It's set after the Troubles. Um, I don't know how much teens now are kind of familiar with it, but it was um, a kind of an, an ethno-national conflict. So it was a conflict that was between two groups of people who lived in Northern Ireland, um, the Catholics and the Protestants, that happened. It was like 30 years of kind of like guerrilla warfare in Northern Ireland and over 3000 people were killed. And, and there were mm-hmm. these different kind of factions that were fighting each other. And, and really nobody who lives in Northern Ireland, no family was untouched by that. Um, it ended in 1998. And so I wanted to explore the aftermath of that and how like the choices that our parents make and the, like their views on the world, how, or in this case on the, the troubles and their involvement in the troubles, how that affects how teens view the world and themselves, kind of like how we take on our parents' views and and experiences as our own. And so it was really about these two teens kind of on opposite sides of the peace wall. So in in Belfast, there's still walls between working-class Protestant and Catholic neighborhoods. And so I had teens whose families were on other opposite sides of the wall, um, mm-hmm. Kind of as as they came together and they started kind of exploring kind of their parents' involvement and what that means for them and how that shaped their own worldviews. So it was really about something that's called intergenerational trauma, which is kind of like how what happens to our parents affects us and kind of gets transmitted to us and how we can make meaning from that and kind of form our own opinions separate from kind of our parents' experiences. Oh, wow. No, it does. It's it's very interesting. What what inspired you to write that? Just so out of curiosity. I, so I actually took a trip to Belfast. Oh, um, wow. Uh, in 2011 with, with actually a church group. Um, and I, I had remembered learning about the troubles when I was in middle school, this dates me a little bit. Um, but I was just shocked. Well, first I went there, I'm like, it's safe to go there. Right. And they're like, yes, it's totally, it's been over for a long time. Um, but I was just shocked to see that there were still peace walls, like I said, between Catholic and Protestant neighborhoods. And so as I was there, I was at a, there a particularly contentious time of year and there were riots and there was, you know, some sectarian kind of conflict between the two sides. Um, it was just fascinating and it just left me wanting to kind of understand more. So as I was under like kind of researching and learning, um, I found a story to tell. Oh yeah. That, that's very nice. How you took away from your trip. Um, I know someone, one of my friends, she went to a country and she saw the lack of healthcare and that inspired mm-hmm. her to become a doctor. So yes. I love when people tell me these stories where they learned from you know, their experience mm-hmm. and it affected them. So my last question for you to sum things up, um, as you're an author, do you have any, any advice for aspiring teen writers? So I think the, the most important thing is just to have fun with it mm-hmm. and to write the stories that you wish someone would write, if that makes sense. So like, you know, write the story you want to read uh, and, and just play around with it and have fun. You know, when you're reading books, look at how other authors, like how they write things, how they describe things, how they show their characters. And I mean, don't copy it, obviously, but like draw <laughs> draw inspiration from how they're doing it um, and, and just kind of keep working at it and keep pushing yourself. Um, you know, as you get more confident in your writing, try to hook up with other writers. Like you can find writing groups on meetup or through Twitter. There's a lot of different ways that you can kind of connect with other writers and kind of work together on helping each other with your stories and, and kind of helping you to get to be a stronger writer. And I think the most important thing is like, if you have a, a dream of being published, um, is just to remember that you're going to get knocked down and, you know, not everyone's probably going to love everything that you write or be interested in it, but it's the people who kind of are resilient and kind of mm-hmm. pick themselves back up, learn from what they're being told and just keep pushing themselves forward and don't give up. They're the ones that, you know, ultimately achieve their dream. Yes. I'll tell that to my sister because she is writing a book on Google Docs 
and it's like 30 pages. So I'll say that Sarah told yes. me this. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. <laughs> well, and you thank can, you. You can say that I was there too. And you know what? And I, I kept pushing myself. So yeah. Yes. That's amazing. Resilience. Resilience. Yes. Yes, exactly. <laughs> well, thank you so, so much, Sarah, for sharing your insight and wisdom on resilience and sharing the audience with your book. Listeners, it does not end here. You can stay connected with Sarah on her website and blog. That is sjcarlsonauthor.com, as well as reach out to her on our Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Also, be sure to support our show and learn about upcoming events at btsya.org. You can show your love for more segments like this one by donating to the Be The Star You Are 501c3 Literacy Charity that brings you this program at bethestarur.org. I'm Siri Panindra, and keep listening for more about strength and resilience. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take voice. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. Are you a teen interested in becoming a radio personality? The Positive Message Outreach Program of Be The Star You Are Charity trains dedicated young people to be reporters and hosts on Express Yourself Teen Radio. Visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com for information. That's ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Don't forget to tune in to Express Yourself Tuesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Kids, where teens talk and the world listens. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You're listening to Express Yourself on the Voice America Kids channel, where teens talk and the world listens. Express Yourself is produced by Star Style Productions, LLC, as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. For more information about our show, visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Now, back to our star teens. Welcome back to Express Yourself. I'm Siri Panindra, and this week's show is centered around strength and resilience. And for this last segment, I will be talking about how meditation helps me mitigate any hardships or overcome any distress that I face in my life. So essentially, meditation involves focusing on the breath or on a word or a phrase known as a mantra, and it helps turn attention away from any distracting or negative thoughts and it helps you focus on the present moment. So when we practice meditation, we need to sit in a comfortable posture and position in a rather quiet environment. And sometimes I just um, play some music, some relaxing music on YouTube in the background. And when we have settled down comfortably, we tend to lose control of our mind and we become aware of all of the thoughts and distractions running around in our mind. But we should turn our attention to our breath and feel ourselves slowly exhaling and inhaling. By focusing on our breathing, we're basically disengaging and controlling the mind. And even 15 to 30 minutes in our 24-hour day has its benefits and is very advantageous. Um, I definitely understand when people say that it's super hard to control your mind, but this is one of the things out of many things that that becomes better through experience. So over time, we will realize that our minds are becoming more peaceful and controlled, and it'll help us experience true happiness without external entertainment. Meditation, it provides us with a true inner happiness, and it'll cause a more peaceful state of mind, regardless of all of the stressful circumstances of life, especially during this time I know that many of us are stressed, um, especially our first responders and nurses and families, you know, because of the lack of jobs. I think this is the peak time where people should try meditation. So I personally perform pranayama or breathing exercises for 20 minutes every day. And it requires the procedure of sitting in a state of peace and you begin devoting your focus inwards. 
Meditation has brought upon many realizations, but one that I think should be highlighted is that it has taught me to accept that the outside world will never be exactly the way I want it to be, but I can always be the way that I want to be. And that that will completely change your perception um, when facing any problems. And the fun thing about this is that meditation changes the structure of the brain. So not only do you see it in you know, your day, that you're being able to overcome stress, it's also affecting your brain. So here are a few studies um, that show that meditation produces distinct changes in our most important organ. And that's not the heart, but that's the brain. So according to a 2011 Harvard study, after eight weeks of training in mindful attention meditation, the cortical thickness in the hippocampus increased, and the hippocampus is known for controlling learning and memory, and the brain cell volume in the amygdala decreased, and the amygdala is known for fear, anxiety, stress, um, and it indicates that meditation not only changes the brain, but it changes our state of mind as well. So the participants who practice meditation for 15 to 30 minutes a day promoted caring behaviors for themselves and others, and meditation helps preserve the aging brain. So people who have been meditating for years had more gray matter volume in their brains compared to the average non-meditator. Well, that's it for uh, my segment. Something that you guys should take away is that if you're experiencing any stress or trauma or just, you know, this time is full of uncertainty. Meditation is the way to go. You can always start off in intervals, start off with five minutes, and then you can go up higher to 15 to 30 minutes. Um, at first, it might seem like a hassle to do every day, but it'll become something that you make time for. So I definitely recommend it. Um, unfortunately, we are out of time for today's show. Audience, please support Be The Star You Are and find information on our creative community, charity efforts, and outreach programs at bethestarur.org. You have been listening to Express Yourself, an on-air global community where teens talk and the world listens. I'm Siri Panindra, and as always, we express our gratitude to Star Style Productions, Cynthia Bryan, Be The Star You Are, and our Voice America Empowerment crew, especially our voice engineer, Josh. Thank you to our guests from across the world, and thanks to you, our listeners, for making us a top-rated program. Be strong, resilient, and never give up. Speak up, speak out, and express yourself. Thanks for joining us this week on Express Yourself, produced by Star Style Productions, LLC, as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. For more information about our show, be sure to visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific time, 3 p.m. Eastern, when teens talk and the world listens on the Voice America Kids channel. Until then, remember to express yourself. Stars that shine between the lines if you would let yourself.